0: Welcome to Story Shaped, the podcast about the stories that shape us and have the
1: power to change the world. I'm Susan Cahill, debut children's author, and my co-host is the seasoned and wonderful children's author Sinead O'Hart. Together, we'll be taking you through some deep dives into the books that shaped us and interviewing other writers about their favourite and most influential stories. We hope you'll enjoy Story Shaped. So, welcome again to another um, episode of Story Shaped Podcast. Um, I am flying solo for the sun It's just Age today, um, taking you through a wonderful interview with the brilliant um, author, Helenka Stahera, um, who, whose work I absolutely love. Um, I As soon as I heard about her her debut novel, uh, The Ice Whispers, which came out from Puffin in 2021, I said I knew I had to get that book. So, straight away, I went out and, and got myself a copy. Um, fantastic. It was right off my alley. And... Her new book, which has just been released, um, or in the, in the last little while has been released, is called Finn and the Memory Curse. Um, both of them are fantastic books. And uh, I am so pleased to be speaking to Helenka today. Um, looking forward so much to hearing about stories that shaped her um, and hearing more about uh, her process or her, her, uh, her writing process for her two, her two fantastic novels. Um, so as I said, her her, her debut novel was uh, The auschwitz published Puffin 2021. Uh, Finn and the Memory Curse came out from Puffin in 2022. Um, Helenka lives in Bristol with her family and grew up in a yellow brick house in the woods with her British mother and Polish father, um, and she is a graduate of the prestigious MA in Writing for Young People at Bath Spa University, and we are we are extremely honoured and privileged to have her here today on Shape podcast. Um, so welcome Helenka, how are you doing today?
0: Thank you so much, Sinead. I'm just delighted to be here. Thanks for asking me
1: on. That's great. <laughs> I'm really, really glad that you said you you would come on, and that you were available to come on. I'm really looking forward to speaking to you because I loved your books so much. I, I just think they're fantastically accomplished and, and really, really interesting. Um, I loved the the focus on sort of ancient, you know, prehistory. I guess in the Ice Whisperers, we got back to you know the Ice Age, and uh, uh, and then in the in the Fin and the Memory Curse, we have a beautiful uh, story told about well. It's also quite scary in parts which draws a lot on on polish i suppose mythology or polish legends and lore um two two so different stories and yet uh equally equally well written and equally engaging for the for the reader um I, I thoroughly enjoyed both your books so it's it's great to be able to speak to you today and to learn a bit more about where those wonderful books came from and uh, and the kind of stories that were shaping you uh in your lovely yellow brick house in the woods that sounds like such a fairy tale childhood <laughs> oh <laughs> yeah
0: I mean, that's one of the first things that I would say, Sinead, was that
1: uh, one of the very
0: early sort of stories that um, I was reading and listening to, well, I wasn't reading them, you know, they'd be read to me initially, would have been Grimm's fairy tales. And of course, they're full of forests and snowy forests and magic. And I lived in a wood. So it did seem to me as if I was living in those stories, that it could actually be real, that I could be a character. In the stories and when i was out in the woods i would quite often turn to walk back to the house and then i would have to run because i think there's definitely a wolf behind me you know so it really <laughs> sort of seeped into um the world around me those sorts of stories
1: that's amazing what a what a beautiful uh childhood to have i suppose maybe a little bit scary too in in the most delicious way you know the, the kind of the, the books you read or the stories you, you read as a child that, you know really quite are quite scary but they kind of give you the thrill of of excitement as well that sounds it sounds amazing and very different to my own sort of uh slightly urban kind <laughs> of no, slightly urban childhood but when I grew up the town where I grew up in was much more uh small much smaller and less developed than it is now um behind my house we had you know acres and acres of fields you know as far as the eye could see so basically we were just out the back door and told not come back till dinner time and it was a great childhood <laughs> but mostly mostly to do with you know there was mostly trees and grass and that kind of thing there wasn't anything majorly uh, majorly magical uh, or foresty about it but um yours really just when i when i heard you when i read your description of the childhood being you know in the yellow brick house in the woods i thought that just sounds like the perfect childhood for a fantasy author or a children's <laughs> author <laughs> so yeah, definitely, yeah, definitely i think it to was to put you on the yeah. path yeah yeah fantastic.
0: and um, um on top of that i would say also um the sort of stories that were read to me were also greek myths so, you know, there was quite a lot of that going on. Um, the tour story, I think, has, has really influenced me in, in my writing. I'll say more about that later when we, when wow. we get on to about that. Okay. Um, actually, I've still got, this is the only book that I've still got. I mean, listeners won't be able to see this, but um, this was my only childhood book left that I've still got, and it's Aesop's Fables, a really beautifully illustrated version so i was sort of growing up on all of those sorts of short stories i suppose and that those were really netting me in and um, you mentioned about you know the ice age setting of um the ice whisperers i also had it must have been a non-fiction book i can't remember what it was called but it was about the stone age it was about humans in the stone age and i was fascinated by that and i even remember now a passage where some um humans are walking along And it's from the point of view of a saber-toothed tiger who is thinking, they look like easy meat. You know, they haven't got claws, they haven't got teeth. I'm going to get them. And then as the saber-tooth attacks, this long claw grows out of these strange creatures, um, the humans that the saber-toothed tiger sees. And at first I couldn't work out what this was, but eventually I realised that it must have been a spear. And of course the humans, you know, succeed over the... Save to poor thing, oh, but um, so that sort of thing, you know, really sort of started off my interest in sort of prehistory and, and human ancestry. I would say that sort of lasted um until now, yeah. Um, as I got older, I think um, TV was really important, so um, the stories you know don't have to be books, do they? And a really important one for me was the survivors. I mean, I think I'm a bit older than you Sinead, so maybe it wasn't on <laughs> when you were, you were little, but um, it was basically based on the idea that um, there was a pandemic and so very few people were left and they had to survive. And I particularly remember an episode where there was a rabid dog and you know, rabies was a big thing at the time. And that absolutely terrified me. And the whole idea of survival has um, really stayed with me. Wow um Star Trek Doctor Who I think probably those are ones that sort of form the backdrop of a lot of people's childhoods Um, but I would also add to that my parents stories so the stories that they told me so my dad was born in um, 1920 and my mum was born in 1927 and so they both had important wartime memories Mm -hmm. so my dad was in the Polish army at the beginning of the war he was captured he was in a prison of war camp he escaped and then he came to um, England, and that's how he ended up in England. So these amazing stories, and my mother was about 12 at the beginning of the war. Um, She was evacuated and then came back to London during the phony war and um, was in London during the Blitz. So these amazing stories that they used to tell me also form part of those sort of stories that I feel um, that I've been shaped by.
1: Wow. Oh my goodness. On
0: top of that, I would add a sort of untold story. So I'm adopted, Mm -hmm. um, and I was adopted as a baby, and you know certain things about that, little tiny stories that you're told, but that's a sort of untold story that you don't know. So it's sort of this mystery um, that is sitting in my childhood, and I think is part of what has driven me to want to be a storyteller myself, I would Mm -hmm. say.
1: Gosh, that's amazing all of that is, and would you ever consider telling your parents stories I suppose maybe they're too personal or whatever but even a, a story based around their their memories they sound like incredible your dad is such a hero to have escaped a prisoner of war camp that's an amazing story, I would love to tell a
0: story yeah I yeah. think I would but I think I'm more likely to tell an evacuation story sure Um, just because it would be a lot easier to research I mean my father died when I was 10 so You know, those stories, it's kind of lost me really to really delve down into um, what happened. Um, Whereas I think with evacuation, you know, it's readily available sort of material on that. And um, my mum only died very recently. So I know her story is much better because, you know, I was much older. Um, The other thing that I would say about being story shaped is that I get the feeling that everybody is story shaped Mm -hmm. and that Um, that we're sort of hardwired our brains are hardwired to respond to stories Um, and even if that's not true that we're hardwired we learn it so quickly if you look at babies playing they're learning about cause and effect right from the start aren't they Um, and that's kind of the, the center of stories and I'm a bit obsessed by this whole thing about story structure actually and i've read lots of those books about um how you should structure stories and so on and some of my favorites well this is one of my favorites is the will straw one you probably know it it's the science Science of of story Mm -hmm. yeah and there's just a little bit in the fly leaf which i'll just read this is what he says um about stories stories mold who we are from our character to our cultural identity they drive us to act out our dreams and ambitions, and shape our politics and beliefs. We use them to construct our relationships, to keep order in our law courts, to interpret events in our newspapers and social media. Storytelling is an essential part of what makes us human, and so I I would agree with
1: that. Absolutely. Can you say so, Sinead? Absolutely. I've yeah. never read something or heard, had something read to me that I responded to so 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 well that's that's yeah that's absolutely I think the reason why Susan and I started the podcast is because that's what we also believe that everybody is story shaped you know in in our own different ways that we all have read different things or we all have responded differently to the same stories maybe but that they've all had um, um, an impact in the way we've grown and the way we've developed and changed and certainly whenever I speak to the children or whenever I'm doing you know school events uh, as an author, like I always bring in the idea that I ask them, do you think stories are important? And some of them are kind of oh I'm not sure, you know, they're they're a bit non-committal to the question. And I say, well, I showed them a, a photograph of uh, the cave paintings in in um oh God, not Lausanne, I can't think of the name, Lasco, the Lascaux pa- cave paintings. And I say, well, what do you think is going on here in, in this cave, you know? Um, and I tell them the story that I read about uh, the experimental archaeology um, uh, experiment that was done where somebody lit a fire in the middle of the cave. And when the flickering flames came on the walls, it made the you probably know more about this than me, because this is, of course, your your <laughs> your field. But, um, you know, it made the pictures kind of come alive, almost like they were they were moving on the walls. Um, and I said, "And what do you think they did that for? You know, and they're like, oh, OK, you know, and I said, you know, the storytelling of the people who lived back then would have not only been a way to pass the time, you know, but it would have been a way to link them together as a tribe. It would have been a way to record their history. It would have been a way to sort of teach younger people about what to expect in their adult life and all these all these functions of story that are so vital and that we still have. And as you say, I do think we are hardwired to respond to story. I mean, every kid I've ever known, including my own, has always said, tell me a story. Or that you know, they love being told stories and they love stories that work out at the end and stories that have a have a happy resolution. It just—it's just such a satisfying thing, I suppose, when you're when you're a child to have that. Whether it's a means of control over the world or a means of learning or understanding something, I you know, I don't I don't know the I suppose the instance of the psychology of it, but I certainly believe it is it is an instinctive thing that we all do.
0: I really think you're picking up on that, Sinead, The idea of um, the emotional connection between people as well is so important in the entire sort of storytelling. Um, venture, if you like. Um, and I've got a couple of stories about that, really. I mean, first, first off, it seems to me that um, being read to by my parents every night mm-hmm. was so important It made me enjoy those stories. You know, that feeling of closeness, you're sort of cosy sitting in bed, the regularity of it. It was just wonderful. And I think that really helped me to sort of bond with those, those early fairy tales and so on. Um, and then my other story about that would be um, when I was about eight and I had a wonderful teacher called Mr. Curtis and he read us as our class reader, The Weird Stone of by oh Alan. Oh my God. gosh. Oh, um, yeah.
1: thank you, Mr. Curtis. Um, I mean, it's what, a a one- gift. what a gift from that teacher.
0: Amazing. I mean, it's such a wonderful story, isn't it? But mm-hmm. also, I already had a connection with Mr. Curtis because... In the year before um, I'd been in a teacher 's class, she was probably very nice, but her teaching style was you go to this sort of wall of plastic wallets, you choose an activity card, you do it by yourself mm. and, that's it. and Mr. Curtis was entirely different, and you know he was full of creativity and we did lots of creative whole class activities, um, he was really into birds and ornithology, which I was as well. So I felt this really strong connection to him and then he read us this wonderful story and I do feel, I think that was probably the first novel that was ever read to me and I do feel that that was the moment when I thought that's what I want to do, I want to write stories like that definitely
1: you and I have something very profound in common which is that Alan Garner has shaped us as authors because it was his book *Elidor*, now which we I did our first our first story shape podcast episode on I don't know if you've listened but um uh, maybe uh, listeners to the podcast will remember a few weeks ago Susan and I discussed that book in detail because when I was when I was about seven I received a copy of *Elidor* and I read it and it changed my life profoundly really really I give it such credit for putting me on the path I'm on now so and also, I mean, and then I went on to read, you know, Words of Stone and 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 Moon of Gomrath and Alan Garner's other books, and I just found them. I found them equally as amazing. But Ellidor is the one for me. That sort of yeah. sticks like a like a pin in my life. You know, it's been kind of, this is where you started. You know, um, so that's, that's incredible that a teacher was good enough to to read that book to you. And uh, wow, gosh, Mister Mister Curtis, I I salute you. Mr. I Curtis, amazing, you. wow, yeah. yeah. I
0: mean, I I listened to um half of your podcast about Ellidor. And uh, halfway through, I suddenly thought, I'm just gonna read it first and then I'm gonna was oh, <laughs> <okay. I'm> <laughs> bit splattering. I was <laughs> really getting into it. Like, I just want to read it now. <laughs> I'm gonna go and do that first before I hear the rest of it. Sure. Um, I do have another story actually about the emotional attachment to um, a story because uh, to me, Finn and the memory curse feels a bit like Oliver Twist with Vampires and Ghosts. The Mars Stump character is a bit like. Fagin, and um, actually, I'm, I'm not a big fan of Dickens. I have to say, neither am I. Um, I'm, so I'm not a big fan of it. But um, when I was about eight, we did a musical version of it at school, and I was one of Fagin's boys. And the person that played Fagin was our drama teacher's boyfriend, and we loved him. He was such a charismatic okay. chap, and um, in in the play, so he sort of would come in and say, "Right, what have you stolen today, boys?" And everyone, you know, said, oh, "I've got a silk handkerchief or a, a watch or whatever." And when he got to me, I had to say, "Oh, I've I'm, I'm stolen nothing, Fagan, Sorry." And then he told me off. Um, and every time I burst into tears, he would say, "No, no, no, we're acting." <laughs> Very sensitive child and I knew we <laughs> were acting but I liked him so much I just found it so difficult um that he was telling me off even in a play um and so again I think I think on the night I might have hidden in the toilets and they had to kind of get me out to sort of get on stage I think I eventually did it um, but again it's that kind of feeling of an emotional connection that I had with that story even though when I, I think I did it for O-level English in the end um I didn't love dickens or the story in that way but it was that emotional connection that's made it really stay with me as a story i think
1: right very good um i'm not i'm not very familiar with charles dickens's work either i and it's funny because a lot of people have um in reviews of my own books have you know given have given me this label of you know, she she's almost Dickensian in the way she describes things, and I'm like, well, that's it's interesting because obviously there is a cultural influence. You know, Dickens is such a is such a towering cultural figure. He obviously has permeated uh, the way everybody writes, maybe, um, but certainly he's not a he's not a personal or a, or a you know a deep or a meaningful connection for me, um, and I'm only kind of vaguely aware of. The story of, of, of Oliver Twist and I, I don't really I'm kind of I know who Fagan is but I don't think I I, I don't think I made I, mean, I didn't. I don't think I made the connection between him and Ma Stump when I when I read your book um but but that's interesting to know that's where, where she came from or that's one of her her literary ancestors I guess yeah um, <laughs> that's and was, right, yeah. Was, was was Dickens an influence then when he came to set um Finn and the Memory Curse like in the sort of Victorian period or
0: well I didn't realize that that's what I was doing it was actually okay. only after Written it that I sort of started thinking about um, the connections and so on and realized then that I had that real emotional connection and was sort of telling that story to people about being yeah. in the play. Um, I think more just before that, actually, I had read um, a book called The Quick, which was about by, oh, I can't remember her name, Lauren Owen, possibly, okay. and, um, and it's sort of about, it's about uh, Victorian London with vampires And I was thinking about writing a book about vampires and I just thought, oh, but, you know, has that has that been done a few many times? Mm -hmm. And then that Christmas, there was that wonderful TV series about Dracula. Did you maybe you saw it? I think it was on in 2019, the Christmas of 2019. And after I saw that. I just thought, oh, I'm I'm definitely going to write about vampires. That's it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. it's okay, Strixar. is it's very similar to um, a vampire, really. So she is yes. indeed, yeah. I mean, the the character of your, I, okay, Strixar. I hate to say I hate mispronouncing the word. I know I'm I'm getting it wrong, but um, she's she's an amazing creature. Um, I know it's it's based in, in real in real folklore from Poland, is not it? The the figure of the Strixar. Did you bring a lot? Of your own uniqueness to it or is it is it closely related to the folkloric version of the street? No
0: I think, I think I sort of I've sort of borrowed that from mm. um Christian mythology really um yeah. in my mind I was thinking vampire you yeah. know the whole time I was sort of writing it um but there were just some lovely little bits from Polish folklore um such as um when the strisga comes out of the grave or they have two hearts and they leave one in the grave and have the other one with them in their body and they have two sets of teeth, which I think actually I did yeah.
1: include. You did include that that was amazing. That detail when she opens her mouth and you say she, something like she didn't have, didn't have fangs, but she did have two sets of teeth one behind the other. And I'm like, oh my God, that's worse than fangs. That's that's a really, a really <laughs> chillingly terrifying detail. Um I, I loved the character um of Mistress, sh- 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 sorry, in Pin in, in the memory curse, she's amazing. Um and the the fact that you know the the, feed, the feeding on memories, I guess, uh, thing is, is just such a clever and really chilling and very emotionally touching, I suppose, uh, theme in the story. Um and she's genuinely scary. Genuinely it's I'm really glad you said that. <laughs> oh gosh, yeah. Quite yeah, yeah. scary, yeah. Um she genuinely really scared me anyway. Um and I I love the idea that we're talking about Dickensy and I suppose the Victorian setting because it is. It is a useful setting, I suppose, the time period, because you bring in in some aspects of the story, kind of bring in spiritualism or seances. And I mean, they were a big thing at the time. So it really lends itself well to the story you're trying to tell as well.
0: Absolutely. Um, so um, a, a friend of a friend was actually doing a sort of um, photography um, exhibition about seances and ectoplasm and and so on. And, you know, I heard about this. And that made me start thinking about it. And um, I was thinking that, if, you know, when I go into schools with this, I will probably talk about the story with the girls and the fairies, you know, that they set got, up these the fairies. is it? Yes. Yeah, yes. yes well, I'll that's... probably do a bit of research about that and sort of bring that in mm-hmm. and perhaps talk about, you know, some sort of the ectoplasm and... You know the ways that people are fooled <laughs> by that is quite fascinating,
1: isn't it? It's um, an amazing story. The cutting leaf, the the girls, and the, the the lengths they went to 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 make that uh, seem so real. Um, but speaking of research, do you do you do a lot of research for for your books? They see they seem to be such you know, um, I suppose they're so real in the way that you describe things. They're they're very easy to imagine. They're really visual in terms of the way you write. I found them very immersive, you know. So I figure is that is that a result of, of lots of research, or is it just stuff that you've gathered as you went through life? Maybe
0: yeah i think i I would say more about i mean as i go along i will Mm -hmm. think oh what's what do i know about this aspect of victorian life and um i did do some reading um about victorian life just to sort of help with the sort of flavor of things i guess and the descriptions um but i don't tend to do loads actually i mean yeah not tons of it but specific little bits and pieces i will look up and things it'll always be things like was there gaslighting in know, you know yeah, in when did um, yeah. Alice in Wonderland get published those sorts of little bits and pieces that you have to kind of get right don't
1: you yeah to um, make it sort of make it make to make yeah. it sing off the page I suppose yeah that's true yeah um and I suppose the questions that we sort of normally ask on, on the podcast I mean uh some people have different answers to the stories that shaped their life in terms of their career choices and their dreams and their hobbies and stuff as opposed to the books that have shaped their their work, as in their their creative work, um. So, do you have any books that you could pick that you would have said shaped your your life as it's gone so far, your career or your, you know, maybe stuff, stuff you do in addition to your to your creative work or? Uh...
0: Um, I I think just more generally the sort of drive to be a storyteller, um, Brilliant. which comes from you know the, hearing the Weird Stone of for the first mm-hmm. time, um. That definitely did change my life, actually, because um, in my sort of early 20s, all, you know, all the time that I was a child, a teenager into my early 20s, I was thinking, yes, well, what I'm really going to go and do is be a writer. Um, but, you know, things take over, don't they? So, you know, I had a baby and then, you know, I was a teacher, which was quite an incredibly busy career. And um, so I just didn't get around to It, it just wasn't time to do it. And then in my uh, mid-40s, I heard, I won't say who it was, but someone I went to university with got published. And I thought, it gives you that feeling of, oh, wow, you know, someone I know has done that. It makes it feel like it's possible for you to do that as well, something you perhaps had started to think was impossible. Mm -hmm. Um, So that kind of, you know, really revved me up. And I'm not normally a risk taker. But on this occasion, I just left my job. I just thought, oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> I did the very That's same so thing, and I'm one. I'm very like you. I'm not a risk taker, but I said no, nope, I'm going to go for it, and I, I did the same thing. <laughs> did <you do> <laughs> yeah, 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 I did. It's, yeah, it's wonderful, isn't it? Actually? Amazing. Yeah. Well, I mean, you need you need support around you to do it. It wouldn't be something I would do without uh, having <laughs> having a net. But yeah, it was it was a uh, it was exhilarating, uh, and certainly yes. it certainly yeah. certainly helped <laughs> kickstart my. You know it really, yes. really if, if, if you take that jump you sort of have no choice but right I better get this work done <laughs> I better get this book deal um you know or, or it's all been for 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 now t- so um it really was a, a kick in the pants I suppose <laughs> yes I <laughs> mean nice I was thing.
0: super naive about it actually oh absolutely be I saved lots of money enough for about two years I thought and I thought oh you know that's long enough and actually no it isn't really is it two years some people are very lucky aren't they to sure. get published in- in a very short period of time, um, but that didn't happen to me. But, in, you know, I was very lucky in other ways. So I'd just given up my job as a deputy head in school, off I went, and it just happened that this part-time job came up at Bathsby University and um, I was offered it. and So it was perfect. So I could work part-time and I could write. And also they did the MA in writing for young people. And as a lecturer there, you had to have a master's, which I didn't yet have, and they wanted me to do it in education, but I um negotiated and they let me do it in um the writing for young people obviously, I still had to get on the course with some um some pretty good work you know to hand in um and that work actually was my first ideas around the ice whisperers um, which I've been trying to write for about ten years actually, so it's it's take it took a long time to sort of really become what it was meant to be I think I would have to say
1: that's amazing it's it's very similar to my own experience in a lot of ways too Uh, my first book took you know 15 years I'd say or longer 18 years maybe to to kind of come to what it was meant to be you know it started off as something totally different but I I always had the kernel of it in my head all those years but as you say life got in the way and jobs and careers and whatever um until I just took the plunge and said this is it I'm gonna have to have no regrets when I get to my, my deathbed we're going to just go for it <laughs> we're going to not look like yes. this when I'm when yes. I'm 90 years old and go I wish I'd done that when I was young enough <laughs> you know so I, do, I don't regret it for a minute. Um, no I mean,
0: I'm, I'm so glad I made that decision you know yes. there was just a little push that I needed from the universe to sort of make me um, take that decision um, but thinking about you know that's a very long period of time isn't it as well for you those you know 18 years or for me 10 years sort of focused mm-hmm. on one story and I mean over that time um, lots of things about the story changed but there was one bit that never changed and I knew had to be in the story that was the heart of the story for me and that was the um, the passages um, where they were inside the mountain in the tunnels in the labyrinth and Bella the main character is sort of trapped in this sort of labyrinth with a monster mm-hmm. um, and to me, you know, when I was thinking about preparing for school visits and, and for this, you know, how stories have uh, really influenced me, I could see how there was kind of a straight line going and possibly even further back. I just, I just don't know. But definitely from The Hobbit, which was one of the books that I loved when um, I was a child. And there was Gollum's voice in the darkness.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And in my story, there are two voices in the darkness there's vo- voices of naught and Tron, who turn out to be the same person. But um, that was definitely really influenced by that. And I think yeah. there's a straight line from, you know, from The Hobbit and talking to The Weird Stone of Brisingerman. absolutely. Because there's just that amazing bit, isn't there? Or, mm-hmm. I say bit, it's like a massive part of the book. So it's really, yeah. really long and so well sustained. And whilst mm-hmm. I was preparing for um, this podcast, I reread The Weird Stone of Brasingabham, which was an absolute pleasure. And I counted the pages. It's about 60 pages um, in the story where they are inside the mines. Sure. And then there's, for me, it was the feeling that really stayed with me rather than the details of the story. Mm -hmm. And there's that really claustrophobic bit, isn't there, where there's this incredibly tight tunnel.
1: Yeah.
0: I mean, is there time for me to just sort of read a Absolutely. little bit? It's
1: always time for Alan Garner on this podcast.
0: <laughs> okay. Um, so both the children in this tunnel. For the first yard or so, it sloped downwards and then turned uphill, not sharply, but enough to cause acute discomfort at the bend. Sand choked the entrance, though even when that was behind them, the tunnel was so heavily silted, that it was almost beyond the children to move at all. They lay full length, walls, floor, and roof fitting them like a second skin. Their heads were turned to one side, for in any other position, the roof pressed their mouths into the sand and they could not breathe. The only way to advance was to pull with the fingertips and to push with the toes, since it was impossible to flex their legs at all, and any bending of the elbows threatened to jam the arms helplessly under the body oh, yes so yeah. really really claustrophobic isn't it Yes. Yeah. and i love how you know as an author things that you've read those stories that have shaped you and so on then clash with actual real life don't they they sort of your own experiences thrown together with those um stories and for me when i was a year eight tutor i took my tutor group um on a school trip to um the forest of dean and we did potholing there,
1: oh God. and I mean, I know I'm such a claustrophobic person. I couldn't, I couldn't even the thought of it isn't for me. I couldn't, Oh goodness! I certainly had a word with myself before I went down there.
0: And I mean, it was it was actually amazing because I did get so much out of it because I did conquer a fear, and you know, when you manage that, it's a wonderful thing, isn't it? And when we were down there, we had these sort of hats with you know headlamps on, sure. and the the guide said to us right, just all turn your lights off now. And the darkness underground is not like the darkness in mm-hmm. your bedroom with, with the curtains drawn. It's completely and utterly dark. It really, really is. And um, there were quite a few scary moments on that trip, actually, because there was, um, in, in the Woodstone of Brisingamen. they call that really tight tunnel the rabbit hole. And there was a tunnel that we had to go along on our hands and knees. That was called the rabbit hole. And um, what I was most afraid of, because there were children in front of me and there were children behind me, was that somebody else would panic. I'd sort of got control of my own panic, but I thought, oh, what is that? What is the child in front or behind? Or someone in this, you know, in this line of people begins to panic and thrash about. That that was really scaring me. And then after that, I thought, well, it can't, it can't get worse than that. And then we got to this bit that just seemed like a sheer. Uh, rock face and the guide said to me this is called the mouse hole that was the rabbit hole this is the mouse hole you have to get down on your belly and you have to crawl through in the way that Alan Garner was describing oh, my his goodness. you know you <laughs> yeah. had to turn your head sideways and oh, you God. know push your toes and your fingers and um he said to me well you have to go first miss because otherwise the children won't go so you first so I didn't really have time to think about it, and I just got down there and uh, went through.
1: Yeah, oh, even listening to you talk about this is bringing me out in a cold sweat. I think <laughs> I would have, I would have handed in my notice right then and there. Yeah, it <laughs> oh, would, would have been the end of my teaching career if I had been you. Oh my oh. god! Yeah, that that scene in in Brisingham and when Colin and Susan are are underground. I even to this day, I remember the, you know, are you, you, when I read it as a child, I was like holding my breath with detention of, of of how it felt for them to be underground and. Just it. I mean, I never, I've never been potholing or anything, anything like that. But um, I don't anticipate that I will in this lifetime. Uh, and probably it's Alan Garner's fault because, yeah, no, I definitely feel I have that fear uh, still. Um, but it's so, as you say, it's so well described. It really, you really feel as though you're down there with them uh, in that, in that scene. Um, and I love the way you mentioned uh, the Hobbit. Um, and how influenced that, that, that bit of the ice whisperers because when I, when I came to that part where the character is talking, you know, the two voices become the same. I said, oh, there's Gollum. You know, I straight away I, I spotted that. So it was, it was brilliant to see. I love that in a book too, when you're reading a book and you can kind of sometimes you can see the 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 um influences that the author must have drawn upon. Um so it's great to have that confirmed. <laughs> um yeah, absolutely. but you know, yeah, we're we're lucky in in a way, aren't we, to have so many fantastic stories to to draw on. Um you really you really have mentioned so many that I really love. Uh so that that's incredible. Um and uh, another question that we love to ask uh, on on the podcast here is uh, do, you, do you see yourself as a shaper of stories for future generations of readers and what might that mean to you? I mean, I know maybe sometimes people don't consciously think of this when they're when they're creating, but is it something that you have in your mind when you're when you're writing? Um, I think
0: I'm not what I'm actually writing, but, you know, when I'm reviewing the writing, I, sure. I'm I am realising that I have responsibility and I suppose one of the things that I would, we, we've talked a lot about all the wonderful positive things about stories shaping our lives. But I have to recognize that there are some negatives sometimes. I mean, I love fairy tales and they're, the way that bold way that they're told, that sort of darkness, the atmosphere of mm-hmm. so on. But so many of them are very patriarchal mm-hmm. uh, Riven with class, you know, I mean, um, one of the scenes in the ice whisperers was, was definitely, um, influenced by the goose girl, because there's a bit in the goose girl where someone has cut her horse's head off, um, and stuck it over the door, and then the horse is sort of speaking to her,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and, um, in my story, there, there's a bit, isn't there, where, um, there's a head in a tree, just this sort of, uh, with no body, and is talking to her, she climbs up the tree, and it talks to her, but, um, and I realised that this came from the Goose Girl. And so I reread the story and I was actually quite shocked by how it's definitely a story that is meant to kind of control you. That's meant to say, kind of know your place. And I mean, right at the beginning, I've got a tiny little bit here. So the print, it's a story where a princess is betrothed and she sets out to meet her prince, accompanied by her chambermaid. After they had ridden for a while, she felt a burning thirst and said to her chambermaid, dismount and take my cup, which you have brought with you for me and get me some water from the brook, for I would like to drink. If you are thirsty, said the chambermaid, get off your horse yourself and lie down near the water and drink. I won't be your servant. And um, as I was reading, I was thinking, well, that kind of seems quite reasonable, really. But the entire story then is based on. The punishment, the eventual punishment of the chambermaid for not knowing her place. Really, I mean, she does do lots of awful things, um, but that's that's the nub of it. It's you know, if you're a princess, you're humble and you're beautiful,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and if you're a chambermaid, you're probably not. So I think that that comes through uh, quite strongly in, in in many fairy tales. And so when we're telling stories now, I think we have to have that awareness and we have to make sure that the characters are authentic. Um, and um, for Finn and, and the Memory Curse, I had a, se- a sensitivity reader. Oh, wow. And I think that's a very good thing. It's, yes. you know, you need to learn from um, other people with more knowledge than you have um, about your story. So actually for me, that was a very positive uh, experience really.
1: Yeah, me too. I had one for my most recent book, Skyborn, with Little Tiger. Um... I had a sensitive reader for for you know the, the mentioning of of characters of of different races in the book and different ethnicities, um, which I found so helpful and so useful. And I realised, despite my efforts, you know, to 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 avoid, I suppose, stereotypical language or or you know things that would be offensive or or whatever, um, I had unconsciously, you know, I had strayed into some some things that that the the reader. Um, drew to my attention, and I said, "Gosh, you know, I'm really sorry that 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 crept into my work, and I'm so glad of their expertise. You know that they were able to tell me, well, it would be better. I know what you're trying to do here, but it would be better if you worded it this way instead of the way you've worded it. And it, it makes the same point, but in a lot more, you know, in, in a much more inclusive way. And I said that is so. Those lessons I'm going to take with me for the rest of my my writing career. I, ho- I hope I'll never forget the lessons I've learned from my sensitivity reader. They're they a real a real um, asset to anybody who's who's working in, in publishing for sure. Um, yeah totally yeah. agree with that. yeah um and was your one in relation to the the polish aspect of your of that book or or no it was in relation to finn who has six
0: fingers on her right and hand Of course,
1: that is and so be, you
0: yeah, know yeah different so it it was important you know the sensitivity reader did bring up things that i i hadn't considered you know and so yeah. it was it was a real learning experience for me and um the reader also pointed me towards other resources that I like might like to read and so yeah it was it was great it was, it was a really good experience.
1: Fantastic that's that's brilliant I'm glad we both have had because I know in in recent I suppose recent months and years um the idea of sensitivity readers hasn't always been received with with you know mm. with welcoming by by some other authors and I think that's 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 not the way to do it I mean I think that we should we should op- obviously always we should welcome um the input of sensitivity readers because all they do is bring Bring more richness and more authenticity, I suppose, to, to the work that we're doing. Um, so I, I for one, am hopefully in in favor. <laughs> so, so yes, uh, that 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 was great. Um, I loved the way you described Finn actually, and and, and her her six fingeredness and the the fact that it's like a, I suppose, a, a characteristic of the family. So you know, um, it's not she's she's not not the only person in the book that has that disability or that's that strong. difference. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Um and uh, i suppose you said as well it's, it's a responsibility we have um i suppose as authors for children to to put to put forward the best work that we can um and, and the great privilege to to be able to um i suppose to put forward the things that are meaningful for us or the things that are that we feel are important you know for for future generations and it's funny talk about the patriarchal nature of fairy tales i, I have a i have a seven-year-old uh, little girl and uh, uh she was reading only last night actually she was reading um fairy tales with me and uh like we were kind of reading side by side in fact i was reading fin in the memory curse and she was reading her book of fairy tales beside me and eventually she slapped the page and she goes god she said why can't the princess ever save the prince <laughs> and i said you're absolutely <laughs> yeah. right you're absolutely right um you know and i know there is a there is a book out there so i think it's called gender swapped fairy tales or some, something of, of that nature um but i think uh, as soon as i can i'm going to acquire a book of of uh you know alternate fairy tales for 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 my own my own girl um to sort of give her that idea that there are there are fairy tales that do exist where the where the girl can can be the saving uh, the saving party as opposed to the boy, um you know or or in addition to you know and that's one of the reasons I in my books I have I nearly always have a boy and a girl a character who kind of end up working together and often they save one another at different points in the story you know and it's not always the boy that does the saving and the girl that gets saved. Um and I think that's that's a conscious thing for me too, that I I um well sometimes it, sometimes it happens organically, you know, with the story that you're writing. It sort of it sort of fits the plot that you're that you're making, but I guess, you know, it all it all comes from your head, I suppose. And so you're you are shaping it as you go. Um and so I definitely I wanted that to be something that a reader would take from a story of mine, that the the girl doesn't always have to be the one sitting in a bower. With her hand to her forehead you know, waiting to be rescued you know <laughs> that the boy can be this can be sensitive he can be emotional he can be brave and clever as well but that the girl can also do do her own fair share of saving um it is a great privilege and a great responsibility that we have as authors yes um,
0: i love the acabe girls you know in the um, oh, hands <laughs> where yeah, they, they were the perfect heroes weren't they because no,
1: you right. know they were uh, they were curious um yeah were. they were fun. Be. armed armed with a hockey stick I mean you can't you can have yes, a hockey stick, hockey stick. <laughs> you, go, you go places <laughs> yeah I love I it loved, I love all, writing all the girls in, in acrobies yeah for sure they were they were really fun um especially Prissy and Prassy I still think about them <laughs> um um but I suppose then we'll go on to the next question which is uh what's next from you in terms of upcoming projects if you can speak about anything you have on your on your plan
0: um yeah, well, I'm at the moment I'm sort of returning to explore again um an ice age world. That I is. mean it, it's not connected to the ice whisperers in um an obvious way mm-hmm. because it's actually set in the ice age this time there's no kind of time travel. Um it's tentatively called Ravenheart at the moment and it's oh, kind of exploring um uh sort of shamanistic um things going on in the ice age but again it is about the idea of what would have happened when our ancestors met other human species you know would they have I'm fascinated by this idea you know would they have fought would they have been friends what would have happened Mm. Um, to me they tend to they tend to fight in in my stories (laughs) Um, but it's it's something I am really fascinated by and so returning to that world um again with the kind of spirit world attached to it uh, I'm, I'm very excited about doing that. Um, I've also, in the back of my mind, got an earlier manuscript that I wrote that I would like to rewrite, which is sort of, um, it's probably more for teen rather than middle grade. Um, I recently read um, Alistair Chisholm's book, um, The Consequence Girl. I read I that
1: very read recently. That. going to read that. It, I loved his premise. Yeah. absolutely
0: loved it. And it made me think, oh, yes, yeah, sci-fi. Gosh, I really love that. And it made me want to revive that story um, that's sort of been sitting in a drawer for, for a little while. And the other thing that has really, I've just started to think about recently is um, this stuff about fairy tales. And I, you know, it's, it is quite lonely sometimes being an author, isn't it? And I thought, wouldn't it be lovely to work with other people in perhaps an anthology of um, new fairy tales? Um, and I was just thinking, oh, you know, you could have, amazing people uh writing stories and putting them together um but I have no idea how to do that <laughs> you know, No idea how to go about independently sort of trying to publish something but it's a little it's only come to me very recently this idea so it's sort of sitting at the back of my head at the moment
1: um would you like to do something like that Sinead would absolutely would i would say when you find the way to get that I I not only not only would I pre-order it but uh I will be available to do one thing I can to help with that that sounds amazing um I know there's an Irish author um Sarah Webb who is like queen of Irish kids lit um a few years ago I forget exactly how many she put together an anthology of short stories and uh so it can be done for sure so we can we can find a way to get that yeah I would love to do that we'll make that we'll make that a goer for sure that sounds great um but definitely I, I want to read the consequent girl His work is it's really, really good. There's some such amazing books out there at the moment. Um but if, as you were speaking about your your um uh, Ravenheart, which is the best name, I, it's a gorgeous title. Um and you were talking about shamanism. Did um did you ever have you ever been influenced by Philip Pullman, um, you know, the the golden compass type books, you know, where he talks a bit about shamanism and his character of the Pari. Does that ever would, would he have been an influence as well?
0: Absolutely. I mean, I, I read those stories to my son when um when he was growing up and I absolutely loved them. So yeah. definitely those stories are, are in my mind as well. Um, I mean, as we've been talking, I've more focused on the things that have influenced me, you know, when I was a child. But yes. as I read now, everything influences me. You yeah. know, as I'm reading, I'll think, oh, I just sort of make a little note because there can just be a tiny thing that the author has done that makes me think oh yes that would really work for you know whatever's going on mm-hmm. so you know re- it, you just have to keep reading don't you it really does enrich um your own work really absolutely
1: so. yeah it's like every i i say to people in in, in school visits to or you know in, in in my general philosophy you know every every story that you take in i just say on tv as well because they're they're you know equally valid about books tv video games graphic novels whatever way you you take your stories every story that you take in you know it does it does change you it does you know bring you forward as a person It helps you to develop and grow It helps you to create new things I mean you you have to fill your well up before you can create something new out of it for sure Um, and that's definitely true I mean I know the focus of the podcast sometimes can be on books we read as kids but like the, the shape the shaping from the stories we read doesn't stop when you hit 18 you know it continues all through your life and i love that i love that you brought that up that's that's really important as well yeah Yeah. (laughs) absolutely um but as we're getting close to the hour mark now i'm going to i'm going to wrap up things um but uh just to say thanks so much Elenka. it's been such an amazing talk um with you i really enjoyed the conversation it's been a pleasure for me to speak to somebody who's written two books that i've enjoyed so much the ice whisperers and Finn and the memory curse are definitely they're they're incredible books, and if you haven't come to them yet, or if you haven't got them on your TBR pile, I would highly recommend that you get them. Um, they're they're fantastic stories, and I I loved I have loved learning all about the uh, the influences that have helped you to come to the, to writing those stories. Particularly, um, I enjoyed our chat about the words Stone of and which I I adore, and I'm going to go and reread now straight away <laughs> after I finish talking uh, <laughs> to you. So thanks so much for reading a bit of Alan Garner for us as well. Um, it was beautiful. Um. And so I just want to say thanks again. And uh, thanks to all our lovely listeners too for um, all the feedback and all the support. Um, uh, I hope you're enjoying the episode so far. And, uh, and we'll see you next time for another wonderful guest um, interview. But uh, until then, thank you so much, Elenka. Um It's great to talk to you. <laughs> thank you, Sinead. I really enjoyed it. You're more than welcome. <laughs> you have been listening to Story Shaped with Susan Cahill and Sinead O'Hart. Follow us on Twitter at StoryShapedPod and don't forget to subscribe on the streaming service of your choice so that you never miss an episode. Music by Tony Betts.